Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 112 of Drinks with Tony. My guest is the fabulous Iris Berry. Coming up on December 2nd, I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop through the Los Feliz Branch Public Library. That's at 6 p.m. and all can join via Zoom. Go to lapl.org. That's lapl.org and find the event on their schedule for December 2nd at the Los Feliz Library Branch. That's lapl.org for the free creative writing workshop, 6 p.m. Pacific time on December 2nd. And now on with the show. Hi, I'm Iris Berry, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Iris Berry. She's the author of All That Shines Under the Hollywood Sign, The Daughters of Bastards, and Two Blocks East of Vine. Not only that, she's the founder and editor of Punk Hostage Press. Hey, Iris. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. I've been wanting to have you on. We've been going back and forth. For remember like what like a year maybe longer i think longer because i wanted to do it in person but you oh, were like yeah. way deep in the valley and i'm all over in las Feliz, and I, and i and we're just like oh how are we gonna make this work you know, know the old days when the divide of the uh of the hills and the 405 meant something and now all i want is to be in traffic and go somewhere i know right it's crazy like who knew that we would miss traffic honestly <gasps> Yeah, who knew I would miss assholes? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm not. I can't go that far. I, I still have those around. They are so populating. But that, um, no, yeah. I know it's crazy, right? Yeah, crazy times. Yeah. Grateful though that we can do this. I'm at first Zoom freaked me out. Like I was like, okay, I don't know. Blah, blah. But now, thank God for Zoom, right? Partly, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, seriously, thank God. But at the same time, I'm, I got, I'm at the end of my Zoom because I'm also teaching and that's all on Zoom too. And it's just, there, there just gets a point where I really want to be in a classroom and I, and I want to, I want to smell the fear in my students and I can't yeah. smell it over Zoom. <laughs> you have to put that on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> that's better when you can smell the fear. Yeah. Yeah. I need to be in person to, to, to smell the vulnerability. I love students who come in thinking that writing is easy. And then they just, by the end of the quarter, they're like, Oh my God, I don't think I'm a writer. And I'm like, you learned what you needed to learn. Wow. That's, that must be a little heartbreaking. I mean, I deal with that with the press, you know, with people and they're like, it's a big responsibility. Don't you feel like having their dream in your hands? To an extent, but I also don't mind crushing their dream in 10 weeks because then they realize that, you know, it's just, I usually get actors who are like, I'm here to write my own material and I know writing's easy. And then, then it's just like, oh my God, writing's really hard. And I'm like, yeah, you, it's a hustle. You, you gotta. It, writing's hard and it's kind of not fun. I mean, you know, it's like this thing you have to do alone and you have to, it's like pulling, you know, literally pulling shit out of thin, thin air, pulling things yeah. out of thin air. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard. It's totally worth it. It's that thing that I'm like, it's one of those things that, you know, it's something I don't look forward to doing, but I like having done it. It's like going to the gym. I don't look forward to it, but I like having gone, even though I can't go now. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. hard. But, um, and like, even like going to the gym or writing, like if I'm not writing, I'm not, I am not a pleasant person to be around. You know and what? Yeah, I try to I be agree. pleasant. My, I, I used to have a family doctor, like ever since I was a kid. And he's no longer, I mean, he's retired. He might not even be with us. But one time I went in there with like a cold and he looked at me and said, Iris, have you been writing? And I said, no. And he goes, that's why you're sick. My doctor, wow. my fat, my, he was like, you know, inching towards 90. Wow. Out of the mouths of the babe, right? Yeah. Your yeah, prescription, told- your prescription is a pen <laughs> yeah, and, and a paper. Get out of here. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. what do you mean I can't get any Norco for this? <laughs> right, right. Where's my morphine? I'm supposed to have morphine when I uh, have a. a Where's my oxys now? <laughs> now you grew up in um, Los Angeles, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, I grew up in. I was born. I was okay. I was born in Burbank, 
beautiful downtown Burbank at St. Joe's Hospital. Um, I grew up in Pacoima, um, which is, you know, like east. It's northeast. Like if you take the five freeway from where you are and you just drive to like the shittiest neighborhood, that's <laughs> actually it's not shitty anymore. But um, it was a tough place to grow up. And when I was about 15, my mom sold the house and moved us to a better neighborhood called Panorama City, which is also like shitty. But, um, and then, you know, when I was old enough, I took the bus over the hill to Hollywood and I just kind of never looked back. And, and what was it about, um, what, how did you know that Hollywood, like, because I, I didn't grow up here. So how did you know that Hollywood was a place that you needed to go to when you're 15? Is that something I mean, that you're talking about in school with your friends and you're kind of seeing, hey, we got to go, we got to go to this store and buy records and the, our people are there. How do you, how do you, you figure think, that out? You would think I would talk yeah. to my friends about it, but that, that was the thing. Like, you know, all, all seriousness, it wasn't a bad neighborhood. It was just a low, you know, a low income neighborhood growing up in Pacoima, Tanorum City, Arlita. But, and I, a lot like my friends and my family, I was creative and they weren't. It was just, a, I, I, I felt not a part of all the time and I couldn't figure it out. And I just remember as a kid, my, you know, my mom would take us to Hollywood. We'd go to like the teen fair on Sunset Boulevard. Like they'd close the streets up and there'd be rides and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. And I was super young, but I had older brothers and they were totally into it. And, um, you know, I would, that would be my taste of like Hollywood Boulevard and sun, the Sunset Strip. You know, the Sunset Strip was packed with like rockers and hippies. And it was like packed. It felt like you lived somewhere exciting, you know? And so these are all my memories growing up. And I just, and you know, seeing things on TV, seeing the movies, Hollywood, just, I was like, I'm so close. I just need to go there and be there. I just sort of had that calling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, as, a, as a dude from San Francisco who grew up in Millbrae, which is essentially the airport, that <laughs> we, had, we had our calling too, where it was just like, wait a second, not everything's just concrete slabs of nothingness and sorrow. We can go somewhere <laughs> where people gather and like there's cool stuff happening. Uh, you know, yeah, inspiring stuff. Yeah. 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 An airport. <laughs> I, exactly. Yeah. I, I grew up with uh, essentially hearing planes all day. It was, uh, wow. Yeah. That explains a lot, Tony. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it does. No, it really does. Oh, why do you have panic disorder? Well, there's a few things, but that's one of them. Yeah. Um, why are you always under your desk? Do you remember those air raid drills? Did you must have had those growing up on an airport? Um, I, when I was a kid, oh, that we had, well, in, in San Francisco, every Tuesday at noon, they have an air raid horn that goes off. Yeah. Oof. And it, that, that was so normal to me that when I moved to L.A., on Tuesday afternoons, things felt weird because I didn't get it. My body was accustomed to hearing, the, to hearing it. It was familial. Mind. It was familial. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's so weird what creeps into us as normal. And then it's just like you just pull the absence of it and you're all, whoa, why am I not hearing that? Yeah. Like that reminds you of your childhood. Yeah. yeah. So. When, so when you get to Hollywood, when do you get into punk rock? When, 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 when did, when, how did you discover punk rock? What was it like? What was the it, big moment? It was, it discovered me because, okay, so here's me growing up with a bunch of stoners and, you know, all that and really wonderful people. Like I still am close to a lot of the people I grew up with, you know, and, um, and, but still feeling just like, you know, a round peg in a square hole. And then, so, okay, this is great. This is so in Van Nuys, which is close proximity to like Pacoima and Panorama City. And because there's like the famous Van Nuys Boulevard, you know, it, the whole thing about, it used to be cruise night, like way before my time. And um, it was cool. A lot of, you know, the thing about LA and California, it's a car culture. It's all about wheels, whether it's cars, whether it's skateboards, it's all about, you know, getting around with wheels and what the people have done to their wheels, which is so cool. So I grew up, all my brothers were older and my, our house was a uh, chop shop. And I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but 
Yeah, my dad was not not around, and my mom was always working to support four kids, and and um, so my brothers, there was like a pool table in the garage, and there was just like junk cars and motorcycles everywhere, waiting to be flipped and lowered and tinted and primered and glass packed, and you know, like that's what they did. And so our house was kind of was a clubhouse for my brothers, who were either in a gang or a car club, and. So none of the good kids in the neighborhood were allowed to come over, only the bad kids. And trust me, I loved it. Like it uh-huh. was a blast because music was always blasting, pool, you know, games of pool were being played and just a lot of activity, like a lot going on, a lot, a lot of, you know, running from whatever, whatever, a lot going on. And so um, even though I loved it, you know, at a really young age, people, I started going to a lot of funerals, people were dying. And so... I knew that I had to get out like by the age of 13. It was like, I have to get out of here. It was like that, you know, that plan. And so in Van Nuys, which was a couple miles away, there was this biker bar called the Rock Corporation. And it was owned by um, a biker and a silent partner who was allegedly the illegitimate child of Bugsy Siegel. Okay, mafia dude, great, great guy. But so this was a biker bar. And okay, so picture, if you will, I hadn't really, I hadn't graduated. I think I was 16 and um, my cat. And um, every Saturday night, there was this band who had a residency there called Van Halen. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I would always go there because my friends were there. The friends I grew up with. And it was just like, you know, there was nothing else to do. And so the next thing I know they're having punk shows there. Like the people from the mask and Rodney's disco. And also there was the sugar shack down the street, which was, you know, another kind of punk hangout. Um, so they started having punk shows and I was like, I, I met like Belinda and Trudy and, um, you know, the go-go's like in the bathroom and they were all like wearing black lipstick and like vintage dresses. And I said to them, I go, why do you guys want to make yourselves look ugly? And they go, it's not ugly. It's beautiful. And they just, they sort of just took me in and we became friends. And I was just like, I really love this punk rock thing, you know? And, and the band started playing like the Simple Tones played and X played and the Flyboys. It's like, I got to see all those bands, you know? And like, it was, I don't know. I think it was on a Wednesday night. I forget, but it was every one night a week punk shows. Yeah. And, um, and I worked there. I had a fake ID that I got out of the back of the free press and I worked there during the day and I got in for free at night. And it was just, that was my, that was my introduction to punk rock. Wow. What yeah, a, oh cool. my God. And just being around that time in Los Angeles, punk rock. That's just 77, such a dream. 19, 1977 or wow. no, 75, 76. It was 76. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm can I just bask in your glory for a second? <laughs> it was fun. And for me, it was great because it was this creative energy too. Yeah. And I've suddenly like, Oh my God, you know, I don't feel like I don't have anything in common with these people that I grew up with who I love, but I'm completely intrigued by these people over here and they're being in bands and they're doing stuff they've never done before. And they're just learning their instruments and how to play and how to perform while on stage. You know, it was, it was cool. And it was like, they were doing whatever they wanted, which was completely saying to me like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. No one's going to tell me. I'm not going to wait for permission. Let's just do this. It's cool. I, that's the thing, not waiting for permission and just getting up there. People have no idea, like baptism by fire is some of the greatest ways to get into anything. You just make a choice. It could be a really bad choice. You might not know all your instruments, so-called bad choice. The next thing you know, you're John Doe and X and, you know, and it, but you, you have to start on that, that real, um, that level of just like, let's just have some fun and screw around and not, and not, and don't listen to the word no. And don't care about anything, even time for that matter. Just like, let's just, you know, kind of like your own bubble, this bubble of, you know, we're going to do this and we're all doing this. And it was just, it was kind of like, you know, the secret handshake, but you know, there was no handshake. We're doing this. You know, it was cool. It was really cool. And there was a ton of cool clubs. Like um, shortly after that, I, I moved 
uh, to Hollywood with my first punk rock boyfriend. Uh, we lived right by the Whiskey A Go Go, and there was punk shows there all the time. I mean, the first time I met Top Jimmy, there was a riot at the Whiskey, and he was standing in the middle of the street screaming, like, and the cops were coming out, and it's just like, I like that guy, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> Who is that? It was just, it was a great time. I'm really happy that I got to be a part of it. Yeah. You know? I feel like I got to grow up in that. And the people that are closest to me are, you know, the people I met then, like yeah. kindred spirits, you know? Yeah. It's looking for, and survive know. and survival. You know, we survived. Yeah. Cause a lot of people didn't. No. Yeah. It's, it's, Definitely it's, not. Yeah. I kind of, um, yeah, I mean, I think about that about a lot of things, like growing, like growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses and the friends that like, that killed themselves coming out, you know, and you're just like going, oh, survivor. yeah, you know, survivor. yeah, right. Did you grow up in the Jehovah's Witness? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. Survivor. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I been. I used to sneak to see bands in San Francisco as I got older. Um, so, who were some of the first bands you saw? Oh, it was. Um, what the first show that ever had a pit that I saw that blew my mind was Fishbone, Trouble Funk, and The Untouchables. In oh, 1980, wow. 1986, was that it? Blew my mind. Changed my life forever. Right? Yeah. Like you just, that like, was this it. is it. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, the diving yeah. off point. I, the people in the crowd and the people on the stage, and I'm just like, why do I know these people viscerally? And I've never, ever been in this environment in my life yeah exactly i think it's just that thing you know that like when a movement is new you know and there's a window that you know we're in or the people that are in it are in like it's just that window that's why i mean i'm great i'm happy that like i get to hear like nirvana on the radio like and hear those songs and hear that stuff that we never heard on the radio then but the thing is it's not new anymore. I mean, I still love it, but it's not new. Yeah. And even for the people that are just hearing or just recently heard it, or they're too young to have heard it then, they love it. I get it. But it's, there's something about being there when it was new. Well, we had to search for it. I mean, we had to search for it in such a way where it's just like, oh my God, I have $7 that I've saved up for two weeks. And here's a Sex Pistols record because I've heard of them. I have no idea what they sound like, but I'm buying this because the people in the know seem to know. And yeah. that you kind of had to, you kind of had to bet on things. You had to bet on what music you were going to listen to, and then to grow. It was a risk, yeah. yeah. But the first, I remember the first time I saw the Sex Pistols. I was in my mom's bedroom, like she had a TV in her room, and um. Like I was, I don't know, I was cleaning or something. And it was either, I think it was like 60 Minutes or 2020, one of those shows. And they showed the Sex Pistols, like, I don't know, God Save the Queen or, you know, one of those, one of their hits. And I just stood there and my mouth was like dropped open and it changed my life forever. I was like, I love this. You know, it just, and that was it. I mean, it was, it was the Rock Corporation. It was, you know, it was seeing the Sex Pistols and they were damning them on TV, you know, this is the devil's music. And, and, you know, and then next thing you know, Nancy Spongeon dies and then Sid dies. I mean, there was a lot of drama going on, you know, it was a lot and sad. And, but, you know, the thing about punk rock, I always felt like punk rock was the place where all the kids that sat on the back of the class (laughs) Yeah. go you know like couldn't really figure it out couldn't fit in didn't get it or just were you know too dysfunctional came from dysfunctional homes and shitty homes or you know no homes and so there was a lot of stuff for people to work out i really think that you know there's a lot of drug addiction alcohol and of course people die it's yeah. just sad it's just fucked up yeah it's just messed up <laughs> sorry it's all right the um yeah, just I let you know because I left the Jehovah's Witnesses for a small bit when I was uh, twenty, and I left for like eighteen months. But I was scared to death that I was going to die in Armageddon. But when I left, uh, started doing college thing. radio, and yeah, yeah. So the so when I was at college radio, when I was learning college radio, and then I was doing the shows, and those are the people I'm still friends with today from decades ago, 
and we and we find out, you know, as we talk to each other now, how much trauma was going on in all of our individual lives that we didn't tell each other about. And the yeah. reason we all came together at that time was things were really bad in certain situations, but we were just coming there to find, to get focus on, okay, we like music and we like DJing. And it's, it's so much fun to have like the heart to heart conversations with people I've known for decades. So fun. yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, those important conversations. Yeah. And the, I mean, also too, I mean, thinking about Hollywood and punk rock, it was a different time. You know, there was no, there was, there was no corporate America at that time. And there was a lot of mom and pop stores. There was a lot of stuff that, you know, was still really organic. And you, you know, like you said, you went to the record store. It was an, and just going to the record store was an adventure in itself. It was like a day long thing. Yeah. Instead of just like, we didn't download it. You know, we went to the store, we picked it up, we touched it and a bazillion things happened along the way and on the way home. And the thing about like being in Hollywood then, which I still love and to think about and, and miss is that it was like a punk rock Mayberry. You just knew each other. And, you know, even like, like I said, Dave Van Halen, right. They played there every Saturday night and then they became huge. But then from there, I, you know, when I moved to Hollywood, I started working at this after I was a club called the zero zero, like during the day and top Jimmy was the bartender. It was after hours. And Dave Lee, David Lee was one of the, one of the, private owners huh. so you know just we're all just sort of gravitating together you know without yeah. even thinking about it and you know like i would or you'd want to take a cab and like dobbs who was the bartender at the cat theta grand is also a cab driver and he pulls over and picks you up it just uh -huh. you always saw people you knew and if you or you began to know them because you knew the people at the stores you know like we yeah. were all in each other's lives it was cool I, I, I love that. I remember going to San Francisco on the train and then the train stop before the show's end and just asking people for a ride back to uh, the peninsula, down the peninsula. And nine times out of 10, I can get in a car and someone would drop me off by the exit where, uh, where my, and I could walk a mile back to my place, you know, <laughs> it's totally not happening now. Yeah. <laughs> Who would even think of that? You just, you're just like, I'm going to go there and see what happens, you know? Yeah. One night, one night, me and my friend did have to sleep in the street. And it was really cold. And then we took the Ooh. first train in the morning. You know, it's just like, okay, well, we just got worst case scenarioed. Let's go get 40 ounce beers so we can crash out on this ice cold concrete. <laughs> and that, you know. Whoa. And you actually slept? <laughs> I did. He didn't. Because I had a jacket on. He only had a t-shirt. So he was cold. And he said, people were approaching us all night. You don't remember? I'm like, I was asleep, dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. slept through that but yeah it was, it was just it was a cool time it was different you know and yeah. i'm sure that people always say well you know i'm glad i was younger then but i am really glad especially considering what's going on right now you know yeah. that we all we got to spend so much time together yes even before pandemic it's like i feel like socialization skills are just going down 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 where we re we really had to, we had to make an effort to be out there, to, and even like even just you know I feel bad for the kids that are like, you know, in elementary school right now and online. It's like they need to be like with each other and having conflict and resolving conflict and human contact. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And they're and it's they're they're grieving. I mean, I have friends who have kids and they're just bummed out. Yeah. You know, like a seven year old just like said to his mom. Mom, what's the point of even living? Which, and this is a happy kid. Yeah. So anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to go that way. Well, I, gotta, I just got to say, you, you know, you know what that kid's going to be doing? He's going to be on Punk Hostage Press in like, you know, <laughs> seriously. 15 years. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he, yeah. You deep thinker, right? Yeah. When did you, when did you start Punk Hostage? Okay. Punk Hostage Press started literally January the 13th on a Friday, 2012. And can you be specific? Of, what time? <laughs> I'll tell you. I can remember that. I was on my porch. I was on my porch in Woodland Hills texting with Razor, my, my partner uh -huh. in the press. And, um, you know, we, just, we only started to put out our own books, like two books. That was it. We just yeah. started 
that and now there's like 31 32 books on there but it was it clearly it was a labor of love you know because we had this whole thing in front of us so it's like wow we could actually do this from our computers we can actually do this we could teach ourselves so anyway we were on my porch it was i want to say it was like 8 30 at night and we were texting back and forth and just he'd he'd been here and we did some shows and um we were just texting and I was like, he's like, Hey, do you want to start a press? And I went, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. And he's like, what should we call it? And I go, punk hostage. He goes, yeah. And that was it. Punk hostage was my, my handle, my name on MySpace. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, that was before the word hostage was, you know, scary. <laughs> right. Right. Before, before nine 11. Um, so anyway, um, no, it was after nine 11. Yeah way after but anyway um so that's how it started and you know we just started we then we were like well, let's try this guy's book and this guy has a great book and oh wow you know so-and-so has a great book and then there was jack grisham like 4 3 30 in the morning i get a facebook message he's like are you awake and i'm like yeah are you and he's like i want to i want to talk about you know want to publish my book and i was like let's talk and we literally yeah. made the deal over the phone at like 4 30 in the morning like yeah. Thursday. Yeah. And you knew him from uh, TSOL days back way back when? Well, you know, I didn't know Joe from T uh, not Joe. I didn't know Jack from TSOL cuz when I was living at Disgraceland like 85 uh TSOL it was Joe Wood. That was it was Joe Wood's TSOL. Oh, right. Yeah. And Joe, you know, Joe was like okay, so I'm pretending bar. There was like these day shows at the Cafe de Grand. And, um, and it was like Sundays and, um, you know, bands would play and I needed a job and Pleasant was booking shows there. And she's, I said, I need a job. She goes, why don't you bartend? I go, I don't know how to bartend. She goes, what's in a screwdriver? I said, you know, orange, ju orange juice and vodka. She's like, what's in a gin and tonic? I go gin and tonic. And she goes, see, you can bartend. So she went to Michael Brennan and he goes, Hey, do you need a bartender? He's like, yeah. She's like, my friend is a bartender. So. I got a job that day and working, it was called the Sunday club. And it was like Bob Forrest was, it was his baby. And so there was um, bands, you know, playing softball across the street, like wasted drunk playing softball, like the horses, and, you know, like the Joneses and, and there was bands playing downstairs. And then there was uh, top Jimmy and um, D Jeffrey Lee Pierce doing, um, DJing upstairs, like playing a heavy metal song and then like a country song, heavy metal song. And so, and literally Joe Wood walks up to the bar and he just says, I need a shot of whiskey. And I was like, okay, I can make that, you know? And yeah. then he just spills like a ton of pennies, tons of like just all pennies. And he pays for it in pennies. I'm like, okay. And then Top Jimmy walks up and he's like, give me a beer. And I go, okay. And then he pays for it in postage stamps. I said to Michael, is that okay? He's like, yeah, let him have it. He just robbed a postage machine. And this was the cafe and grin. And so then I go home. And then more happened with Jimmy and Jeffrey Lee. But I went home uh, after work to Disgraceland. And there was Joe Wood just crashed out on our couch. Like, that's what I mean, Mayberry. Like, you'd, you couldn't escape anybody. I mean, it was great. So that was, that was the TSOL. I, I knew I'd seen TSOL before with Jack at, a, play, a thing called the New Wave Theater. Did you ever see that? The no. New Wave Theater. Oh yeah, that was that was a show that was like I want to say 1980. It was David Joe's show. I, I think I've I've seen it on YouTube. I've I've seen clips. Yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of bands played. It was cool. Um, so I saw them play, and um, but then after shortly after that, Joe, you know, was the singer. So and then I became friends with Jack later. That's, and then, uh, yeah, because that's right. You set up the interview with uh, Jack for, to come on Drinks with Tony like a year and a half ago. How was that? Oh, that was a blast. Jack's a great interview. Oh, my God. Just to talk, just talking to him. We were talking about hypnosis. We, like, we didn't talk about too much about punk rock. We were talking about all this, like, other things, and it was just... Multi-talented guy. Multi. Yeah. yeah. He's hypnosis. fun. Yeah. Just don't look into his eyes. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's he said. He, he said that he said uh, he put a uh, he put an idea in my mind, and I won't know it, but I would probably act it out later. And I'm just like going, great, thanks. So anyway, I was uh, I was incarcerated after that.
I'm kidding. <laughs> we have a technical glitch here. Uh, there you are. Okay, you're back. <laughs> Incarcerated. That's funny. But yeah, so then I met Jack later, and um, and then you know he and I have been working together since you know since 2013, and yeah. that's what I love about the press. Like everyone that's on it, we you know we've come become like this little collective. Like we just I just want to keep publishing people that are already on it, you know, because it's it's like a community. You know what I mean? And it's also a, it's also great because it seems it seems like you have your authors there that you like you'll stand up for each other you, you have each other's back because it's you know it's it's less corporate and, uh, oh totally and we work together I mean like that's the best part about it and like before this started we were talking about the pandemic you know everybody's home so everyone's turning in manuscripts you know because they have time so I'm busy you know you know, we're figuring it out, laying them out, you know, having it, you know, having book covers done. It's like this whole machine. It's the press has never been better. And I hate to say it, but it's because of the pandemic because that's what happens. You know, when you put a bunch of creative people together with nothing else to do, they create. Yeah. And that's what everybody's doing. So I'm, I feel pretty blessed. It's been, I mean, it sucks that there's this horrible thing going on, but it's been, it's been, you know, it's been um, pretty great for me. But I also have to say when, you know, like a hundred years ago, when there was a Spanish influenza, my grandfather's first wife died from the Spanish influenza. So wow. then he married my grandma and then they had my dad and then my dad had me. So I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for a pandemic. Amen. So I fare really well in a <laughs> Wait you're a minute, like, cross myself. Like, yeah, yeah. You're like, I not only survive pandemics, I get created during pandemics. So. Yeah, I flourish. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's hard. After a while, it's just like, I want to go somewhere. I want to be with uh, people. But, yeah. But so, yeah, so Jack, I'm getting ready to put out Jack's new book. Um, oh, great. Yeah, he's he did um, about, in 2014, we did uh, the collector's edition of code blue a love story from the uh-huh. tsl song code code blue and um and then he made a movie out of that and so now we're just doing the soft cover what he likes to call the hide under the mattress edition so it's we're so, doing that i re- i viscerally remember hearing code blue and being in 11th grade um 11th grade advanced english because for some odd reason i was i was a terrible student but they kept pushing me forward in English because I could write a thing or two. Makes sense. And, um, and I would sit in the back and there was this, there was these one punk rock girl and me and her would sing Code Blue <laughs> together in the back of the, you know, the classic. It was just such a naughty song, you know, and it was like, so I, naughty. I didn't even know who the band was. I just knew the song. And then, uh, then later I got the connection that it was TSOL. So. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a love story and a, you know, a, not a murder mystery, but it, it's a love and a death, love and death story. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the book? I haven't. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to get you a copy. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's good. It's I mean, it's like you know, guy fu- fucks the dead girl. Right. <laughs> Sorry, don't, worry. Tony. don't worry. We've already made this not appropriate for a broadcast, so we can fuck okay. away now. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got this. You know, this kid's fucking dead girl. Like it's. Yeah. It, but it's funny. It's great. You know, Jack's really funny and. And the illustrations by Scott Iker are amazing. Scott Iker is, thanks to Jack, has become like the punk Costage Press, you know, artist. He, he illustrated your book too. He illustrated Two Blocks He's Divine, which is yeah. just, I'm, I can die now because I love that book so much. Well, he you did know, a great job. Before I forget, because I just had this thought about 10 minutes ago, and I could lose it again. because you know, I know. I so, get it. So... Um, when are you writing your memoir? Because I want to know your story of Hollywood and I want to, I want to see it from your point of view. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, okay. So I'm, here's the thing. I'm my, I'm working on my next book now, which is, it's going to be called the pink mansion because Uh I lived in this, I lived there for about, I think it was a year and, um, you know, it was just like with some other punk rock friends, it was kind of like the, it was my first communal living and it was like my first punk crash pad, so uh-huh. to speak. 
which I gravitate to. I like communal living. What can I yeah. say? I like it. It's kind of like replacement family. And yeah. so, um, and it's a lot of fun. And so uh, I'm, cause I was going to do a book called uh, notes from a Hollywood dive. And each chapter was going to be where I lived because I literally lived through the eighties. I lived in nine different places and 10, if you count rehab, which was the last stop. <laughs> and so I was going to do a book and each chapter was going to be the place, but now I think I'm just going to release them separately and um, then eventually just put it together as one book. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so, great. So in a way that'll be a memoir. I, yeah. I feel like the memoir is the thing that you write at the end of your life. And I refuse to think it's the end of my life. <clears throat> I, 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 well, uh, when I think of memoir, I think of time periods like chapters. So yeah. So the it, 80s were a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's not like you have to be, uh, I mean, you know, the way they, too many people write memoirs that shouldn't write memoirs. But right. but there's also, you know, I want to see your point of view as well as I would, I would be, a, the, I would love to be a beta reader because I'm going to be the weirdo who has no idea about the Hollywood punk rock scenes asking different questions where you will be like, wait, not everyone did that? And I'll be like, no, you have to go into that more. So I, I, I'm going to call, we're do we're, you're my guy. Yeah. That would be, yeah. No, I mean, also, I just feel like I'm kind of waiting for everyone to die. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, the problem, here's the problem with that. It takes so long for things to get published that you have to write them as the people are alive. And um, it's, you have to pretend like everyone's dead when you're writing. I, I always do. I pretend exactly. they're Exactly. And then usually by the time I get like finished with something, done with something, it's finally get published, finally gets here. They may not have died, but we're no longer friends. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but I'm going to just, I'm going to throw a different spin on that because yeah. I totally get that except with the internet. Like, okay, so <clears throat> I have a whole bunch of family that, like my family's from the East Coast. Like my mom is from Brooklyn. My grandma was from Harlem. And my dad was from Portland, Maine. Huge oh, wow. bunch of family from yeah. very East Coast. And so um, when when we put out Daughters of Bastards, me and Eraser, because it was, you know, we we're kind of practicing on our own books. And um, my relatives literally, because it was on Amazon, I didn't know this, but they started a book club with my book. <laughs> I love you if you're watching this, but it was just like, I was like, holy shit. I didn't even think about that, but you know, Hey, so there's, there goes your pretend they're dead theory, right? They're not dead on Amazon. So, um, and the cool thing, you know, I mean, Amazon, that is a whole big conundrum right there, but the, I mean, there's cool things about it. I couldn't do what I do if there was no Amazon. I just couldn't. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Because it's like I'm confused about a lot of things. Like I get confused when the well, because I mean I don't know I don't know too much about Jeff Bezos. I don't even know that much about Donald Trump. I stay out of the news. The minute the minute he was elected, um, and every news story was about him. I'm like, I don't care. I just turned off the yeah. news. It's not someone I want in my zeitgeist. But oh. um. Where was I going with that? We were talking about uh, Amazon, and that brought, that brings up where people are like the you know they say things like kill the rich or they, they have these they have these sayings that I don't like because I'm like no no you don't know these people in person it, it kind of drives me crazy even though I'm not part of that group I don't I don't want to just blanket that group I want to I like to know I, I agree and, I agree with you and I think I've learned a lot about that over the past ten years or so. Because I used to assume that, you know, not knowing any celebrities and assuming they were this and that, you just, it just turns out they're just real people. Everyone's just yeah. trying to get by. Yeah. And the whole thing about like fame or, and now fame with the internet, it's so one dimensional. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for Amazon. I mean, the thing about Punk Hostage Press is the writers get their books at cost, which I couldn't do without Amazon. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and my point was that you, we might die in real life, but we'll never die because of Amazon. Like our books will be there forever. Yeah. As long as there's an internet and there's an Amazon and even beyond, like there'll be some crazy booksellers, like <laughs> selling them somewhere else. Like it's, yeah. it's wild. 
So, um, so yeah, that is, uh, so yeah, don't, there's no pretending they're dead, Tony. I have news for you. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, so, so anyway, so I'm, I'm working on the pink mansion right now. And um, that's going to be, that's a pretty crazy story because it was on the heels of Darby's death, Darby, Darby's, Darby's suicide and John Lennon's assassination literally right after that. So a lot was going on and there was John Belushi's passing away and oh, I got arrested and, you know, I was bailed out of jail by, by Neil Young's deed of his house. Like it, it was crazy. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. The, um, oh, did you know Darby Crash? Wow. Yeah. I was literally at, um, we were at Okie Dog. And the night before he was walking around saying goodbye to everybody, just saying Whoa. goodbye. Yeah. yeah. And we'd heard that he was going to do that. It was like that thing, you know, Every, people were talking about it. It was a, you know, he was clearly people knew. And so, yeah. and then the next day he was dead. He wasn't kidding. Oh, that was brutal. Yeah. Was that and the was first sad. suicide that you dealt with? <sighs> yeah. It was, and yeah, and there was no suicide prevention then. It was so different, and the saddest part about it is that his whole, it would have been a bigger deal had it, it had not been overshadowed by John Lennon's death. You know oh, I mean? interesting, yeah. Like he was, the news of that just completely got crushed because John Lennon's death was a huge deal. Like that was big. There was a vigil, I went to a vigil in, um, Century City and thousands of people standing there holding candles. I mean, it was the shot heard around the world. Yeah. You know, and Darby's death was the shot heard around Hollywood, you know? Yeah. And it was sad. It's sad because, you know, there was so much about that that, you know, was important, like the fact that it was a suicide and, you know. Suicide is just so, I mean, it still blows my mind. The, uh, how to comprehend the grief. I it just, I don't think it ever goes away. And it's just such a, it's, it's so hard to wrap my mind around. Uh, you know, I know it's also just like, where'd they go? They yeah. were here and now they're gone. And yeah, did they really mean to do that. Or could I have said something, you know? Right. That's the thing. Yeah. What could, what could I have done? Would, would they still be here? Um, I, well, I, a friend of mine who had killed himself, uh, this was like the third or fourth suicide I've had to deal with. I saw him a week before and he was the happiest I'd ever seen him in his life. He was prone to Oh, death. wow. And he was just like, uh, he, I was like, oh my God. I was like, Matt is doing really good. But he had already decided to kill himself. So he, he relieved everything and was just kind of just still around saying talking to people and that was kind of his goodbye to me was just this vibrant live human i've never kind of known of him as before and it was just like whoa it just it hit that is a big decision yeah. that is a permanent decision yeah that's huge wow yeah yeah the, i read this story this guy he went to he was going to kill himself so he thought you know he would get some drugs over the counter in tijuana do you know the yeah. story no Okay, so it was a couple of years ago, and he um, so he goes to Tijuana, and he he gets like I don't know painkillers, a bunch of them, and he figures while he's there, he's going to get some blow and get some hookers, you know, like <laughs> go out with a bang, right? And he, in the while he's like you know sorting coke off hookers' asses and having the time of his life, he decides that he wants to live, like he's having way too much of a good time. He's like, it brings him out of his depression, basically. And I read the article and he, I mean, he go on to, he went on to write, he's like, and then I had counseling afterward and I dealt with the depression. So if you're reading this and you're depressed, you want to kill yourself, don't, you know, get help. Maybe skip the Tijuana part, but get help. Yeah. Or, or do what you, you know, there's sometimes do what you need to do. It's, I, I guess maybe there was, there was just cause life, life just feels constricting sometimes. It feels like it's heavy. And so he went down there and kind of let some weight off a little bit. And then that, maybe that hope just kind of kicked in. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. This weight can be lifted off again. How do I yeah. do that? Without, yeah. without the strippers and the Coke every without, night. Yeah. Without, yeah. Without the Tijuana action. But, you know, I find that when I read something good or I hear some great literature or great music, like if I'm in a low grade depression, it just lifts it, which is, you know, that sayings music soothes the savage beast. I don't know that saying. I love it. Oh, I'm using yeah. it all it's the time now. 
And yeah, have it. It's, it's an old saying. It's old timey, but it's true. I've yeah. seen it. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in other people. Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, I experience all the time. I guess that's kind of my litmus test for when I put out a book on the press, when I make the final decision, I read the book and I'm just like, when I'm done, I'm like, you know, if my life is better for it, like I'll read these books and I go, Oh my God, I love it. I, you know, and that is my life is better for it. Yeah. And like, I remember I, I wrote this piece, which is in two boxes. I'm not two boxes. So fine. Um, and all that shines under the Hollywood sign. It's, I think it's the first real piece. It's called thank you, Henry Mancini. And, um, I remember I was had a, I was going I had like a deep depression for about a week because I suffered from depression, and um, and I had a friend, my friend Mickey McMahon, who I will always thank him forever. He sends me this was AOL, you know, like AIM, and he all of a sudden I hear this ring, and he there's this his message from him saying, "Hey, what what's your top ten CDs that you've been listening to CDs?" And I was like, oh my God, I haven't listened to anything. I was embarrassed. So I walk over to the CD player and I just grabbed the first thing and I put it in. It was Henry Mancini's Shadow of Your Smile. And literally, I just stood there and listened to it and the music just moved through me and it literally lifted my depression. I just went, thank you, Henry Mancini. And I thought, I need to write, I need to write a formal thank you. And that's what that is. That piece starts the book. And I, um, you know, I told Mickey, I said, thank you. You know, I told him the story. So he's forever thanked for that. And for that concept, you know, the concept of knowing that this is why I write, this is why I create, this is what my goal is for me. And, you know, like I want to be better for it, for having done it. And, and I don't, I, I still try to recreate the experience. I don't know how to recreate the experience of actually sitting with an author and reading their novel over a few days and totally connecting with that person through reading as an audience. And also like finding other things in myself where I'm like, oh my God, this person gets me. Even though they don't know my story, it's all the human condition. But there's, so, there's just something about sinking into a book um, that continues to change me and continues to shift my perspective to better things. It's, it's yeah. I don't, I don't know any, I mean, that's why I'm just the king dork of reading books and just enjoying talking to authors. Cause this is, this just, this is just the weird club I enjoy and belong to. And it's just like, I need it. I need it. I need the constant stream of, I want to see the written word. I, and I get it in music too. I really totally. like, I mean, I was depressed this morning and I, for some odd reason, that song Pin by Yah Yah Yahs was in my head. And not that I listen to the Yah Yah Yahs too much. Right. Uh, but but I to have a good song now on that. Yeah. And I was just like, I got to listen to that. And it shifted, it shifted my mood this morning. And it's just. Isn't that amazing? Music, yeah. Music and music and novel and, you know, even film. It's Culture. so hard. Oh, I'm a huge cinephile. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I love it. My whole thing, I'm actually making a, a baby movie, like, which is what I learned during the pandemic too. I taught myself how to do iMovie and I'm making yeah. one about my love for movies. I'm not going to give anything away. I'll just send it oh, to you. How fun. But it's been, that's the thing, you know, about the pandemic is just like, okay, what do I want to do? I'm going to do it now. You know what so, I've all, what I found out about the pandemic is I'm opening myself up to cheesy films I would never have watched in like my what? life. Like what? Like what? I, so I watched the, it came, I think it was on Netflix. It's called Spencer Confidential. It was I've heard a, of that. a Mark Wahlberg movie. Something I love that him. I never would have, I love him. Yeah. Something I never would have searched out pre pandemic. I've watched it three times. I have to watch <laughs> Spencer Confidential. Wait, is that the one with Post Malone in it? No. Um, I, yes, no, I, I think so. That's the guy with all the tattoos on his face, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. he's in jail with him in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. That's it. I and love Alan that Arkin's movie. In it and he's I love that movie. Alan Arkin is amazing. He's yeah. awesome. Oh wait, you saw yeah. the movie. I've seen it twice. Yeah. I'm going to watch good. it again. I yeah. Know. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have normally allowed myself either, but you know, there's no time. We can do whatever. Like time yeah. is endless right now. So yeah, it's like we're trying new things, right? Hey, yeah. before I forget, who's some of your favorite um, authors? Oh, uh, uh, oh my God. 
I'm reading Vonnegut right now again because I haven't read Slaughterhouse Five in twenty years. Wow! Uh, like I'm starting. Well, when I when I can pleasure read, uh, like I just read Mark Twain. I read Huckleberry Finn for the first time. I I'm need. Trying, you know what? I need to read that. I'm. I need to read that for the first I, time. Yeah, as it was interesting because, like, as an author, I don't think I would have liked it when I was younger. I think they make make kids read it in high school and stuff, and it I it wouldn't have made sense to me. But now that I've been writing and just I love storytelling on every level, to read mm -hmm. it now, I go, oh, okay, that's why this is this is in the books of you know everyone has to read. Um, yeah, required yeah. reading. Yeah, I mean, Who else? well, the, the 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 authors that really like changed my life. Were like, uh, I mean, I was Bukowski, Kerouac, Ugh, Louis Bukowski. Ferdinand Celine, um, Newt Hampson, who wrote Hunger, a Norwegian author. Uh, oh, wow. When I read that book, I knew I had to be a writer. And Whoa! It, yeah, that book changed. That book changed everything. I and he's Norwegian. My so my grand my my mom's Norwegian. So I went to my grandpa Tor, you know, and I'm all, Grandpa, I just read uh, Hunger by uh, by you know I called him Nut Hampson or something like that. He's all Nude Nut Hampson, that Nazi, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like trying to connect with my grandfather, and then it turned out he was like, he was he did have sympathy. Uh, not he was the Norwegians cut him off because he had lunch with Hitler at one time, and there was stuff he did in the 1930s. But I was reading his 1890s self, you know, it, things change after a couple decades sometimes. Yeah. Damn, <laughs> that yeah. that Nazi. I know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bukowski changed my life for sure. Like yeah. changed. It was he was the game changer and led me into a bunch of other, you know, sort of opened the door for a lot of other writers. But <clears throat> I love like for me Chandler, you know, oh, yeah, yeah um, Chandler and Hammett. I love the noir stuff. I just uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but I just love it. And I love when they turn them into movies like The Maltese Falcon and The Big Sleep. Have you seen those movies? I've, I've seen The Maltese Falcon. And I have, I've had a hard time getting into Chandler and getting into uh, Hammett. And Hammett I should be into because I lived in the Tenderloin for years in San Francisco. Exactly. Yeah, that's, no. That's, that's his the ground. thing. Yeah. yeah and, the, and he makes San Francisco the, his star the way Chandler makes Los Angeles his star. Like it's sort of yeah. the unspoken stars, which I love. It's beautiful. I, I need to revisit it. I just I just read Quarry, and I forget who the author is. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't remember I the author's name. There, there was a there was a TV show on Cinemax called Quarry that the editor the the video the editor for Jesus Jerk uh, the the film was the editor for uh, Quarry, and I'm all oh I got to see Doc's work, and then the 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 series was great. And it got canceled after one season, and then I was like, wait, Damn. this is based on books. And it's very wow. kind of noir crime. And I'm going, oh, I do like this genre. Okay, I have to go back to the to the masters, the Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, noir, I don't know. I think noir was probably, it was. Pulp was looked down on when it came out. Like, it was yeah. looked down on. So, which, you know, that knowing that in itself, it's just that's the way it goes. That's the way culture, that's the way culture changes. You know, people aren't ready for it or they're not open to it. And the next thing you know, it becomes the norm. You know, look at punk rock. It's like in every store. Before it was just like people would throw shit at us. You know? Right. <laughs> Calling us and, and, and we need to remember that, you know, and I hope the kids these days remember that too, that they, it's, you don't have to fit in. You just got to do what your heart's telling you to do. And Follow then at some point, heart. some point people catch up. Sometimes they don't. But if, but if you do it from an authentic place, usually people catch up, I think. Oh, yeah. It's going to resonate with somebody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, yeah, those, those, they're great. And there's a great book called Raymond Chandler's LA. It's just excerpts from all his books and he's talking about parts of Los Angeles. It's beautiful. It's definitely at the top of my list of favorite books. Okay. You check it out. Yeah. I'll check that one out. Yeah. And then, and then I can go to the, um, go to the locations and kind of just vibe the, the spirit. I love vibing the spirit you know, where you just, you know, even I, you know, when I, when I moved to East Hollywood, seven years ago, which I can't believe when I moved Has it here. Has that long? I know. Well, yes. It's like someone who was pregnant when I moved to LA now has a second grader, but, um, that's crazy. But there's that one scene in fight club where, uh, where I love Ed, that movie. I know. Love Ed, that movie. 
Ed Norton and Helena Bonham Carter are in the, uh, they walk outside and she's going into the laundry and they're having the fight over what meetings they're going to go to. Um, and she stands out in the street and she's like, what's your name? Cornelius, Jack, whatever he puts on. He, she's like yelling at him as buses are going by. That's on Heliotrope and Melrose. It's like, I didn't even know I lived right there. And I, and oh my God, I, I didn't oh, know oh that. Oh my God, that was, that was the laundromat. That I was, know where that is. I know where that is. Yeah. You know, my favorite part of that movie, I mean, the movie's great, but my favorite part, favorite line of that whole movie is like when they're holding hands and everything's exploding around them. And he says to her, you've met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, good. It's a love yeah. story in the end. Did you know Chuck Palahniuk was my first um, interview for uh, – Pre, before I called it Drinks with Tony, it was called the Cherry Bleeds Literary Audio Stream because there was no podcast. Wow. Um, yeah, because I just, I just used to have a book of the month club in like 2000, 2001 on, my, on Cherry Bleeds, the magazine that I ran that was, you know, dedicated to that. And I got Bless a, you for doing that. Bless you for doing that and this and just, you know, making a big deal out of books. It's, oh, it's kept me alive, like literally. But, yeah. The publicist said, oh, Chuck is going to be in town. Would you like to interview him? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, what's it for? And I went, what is it for? And I was like, well, I think I can do stream. I can do audio streaming on my website, you know, 2001 when it was, you know, so I was like, I'll just figure it out. It's for the audio stream. And they're like, we've never heard of that. Great. So I got to have lunch with them and tape. That's cool. You're that a pioneer. My- Oh, thanks. Where is where is that interview? How do we watch it? Oh, I you know I don't know if I have it on. Um, I gotta find it. It's it, it might right. be on the uh, early because I rebooted this and started numbering episodes uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Because I after the Jesus Jerk movie came out, I fell into like a deep depression and and oh uh, why why there was a lot of reasons, but it was but uh, some of it was just I had poured so much of my heart and soul into that into getting that movie made, and it was like that was the end of like a seven year run where it's just like oh is that all there is I don't feel yeah it. right and uh, who, and then who I am sh- I the whole who am I spiel and also have I done everything wrong could I have worked on three more books instead of putting every effort into making that happen and. And I just sat do you there. Love, do you love the movie? Are you are you good with oh, it? Oh, the final cut's great. Yes. I can't. How do I see that? It's on Amazon. I'm there. I got yeah, it. I'm yeah. gonna do that. Yeah, Aristotle directed it. I don't know if you know that. I love him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. He's a sweetheart. You might have seen him around I in loved the punk him rock in days. Pulp, <laughs> I loved him in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. The dealer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't. I don't. If he was around, I don't remember. But you know, I think actually, no, I was literally watching the movie um what's that movie with robert downey jr where he uh less than zero yeah ready smells i was watching that movie and literally saw my face like oh my god there i am there there's a club scene you know because then we were all always in movies and i don't remember what i was in it was just like there i am and then literally five minutes later someone on facebook private messaged me and they're like you've probably seen this a million times and there was a picture, a screenshot of me on, in the movie. And Eric was in that movie, right? Wasn't I, he? I don't know. Eric. Oh, and, and Eric. McCarthy was, I think. I can't remember. Wasn't Eric the dealer? Like the mean piece of... He might dealer? have been, yeah. All right. Anyway, so, well, I want to see your movie. I'm glad that you're happy with it. Yeah. Oh, but that, what's funny, did you do extra work then in, as you were Extra going work, not extra, commercials. Like, it just yeah. sort of rolled into, like, you know, just rock videos, you know. Yeah. It was cool. It was fun. I did extra work for a while, too. I, it's like, I got into SAG, like, five years ago and was doing extra work. And I... And it's, you, you, just, you start to kind of just get so much and you don't even remember what set you were on. you just like, but you remember yeah. the food? You remember like, yeah. you're like, oh my God, that was the lobster prime rib day, you know? It's, yeah, 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 yeah. And, we uh, were, well, there was a bunch of us doing it because Janet Cunningham had a thing called Cash. So she, she, you know, she would cast all of us punk rockers, the people that, you know, were afraid to talk to us. So we, it was always a party for us. We just couldn't get too drunk or too wasted. Yeah. But, you know, it was always a party. It was fun. And then, you know, real, then we were all getting, like, real parts and, you know, yeah. the Hollywood deal. It was fun. But, well, um, I feel like we need a part two because this is just – I fun. know. Are we running out of time? Yeah. What were you going to yeah. say? Um, I, was, I don't know. 
probably 40 other things. Wait, I just want to ask you one thing. You interviewed Mike Marcus. Was that hilarious? Oh, I love, yeah. It's fantastic so book. Isn't that the great book, yeah. Number One Son? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's working on his next book. Good. Right That's yes. what I love about all the authors on Punk Passage Press. They're all working on their next books. Like Pleasant's book is coming out on Halloween. It's called Rock and Roll Witch. Uh -huh. It's going to be amazing. It's probably going to be the best book she's ever written, seriously. And um, yeah, uh, Code Blue is about to come out. And then um, we're going to do another book of Jack's in, at Christmas time. So there's a lot happening. So be on the lookout, people. It's so much fun. Iris, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tony. Where, where's the drinks? When do we get to drink? Iris Berry on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book, All That Shines Under the Hollywood Sign, as well as many other books on Punk Hostage Press by authors like Jack Grisham, Michael Marcus, and Pleasant Gayman. Next week on the show, we have Kevin Smokler. He is the co-director of Vinyl Nation, a film about the resurgence of vinyl. And that's going to be just in time for Record Store Day on November 27th. Hey, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday.